Welcome. You're listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Visit us on the web at vedanta.org. Good morning. Many of you have come to the temple in the early morning and stayed till 7.30. You will hear the chant that starts out, Chant the name of the Lord in His glories unceasingly, that the mirror of the heart may be wiped clean. This is recited every morning in the temple. Today's topic is japa, or japam, whichever you want to say. The last time I spoke, I was talking about peace, and we got to the point where it was discussed that the easiest way to get peace is control of the mind. The easiest way to control the mind is repetition of a mantra. Now, repetition of a mantra is japa. So I'd like to start with a quote of Swami Shivananda, who was one of the first disciples of Ramakrishna. And he said, All aspirants after self-knowledge or God-realization, be they followers of the path of knowledge or the path of love, must practice meditation and repetition of the holy names. The jnani, that's the seeker through knowledge, should repeat the holy syllable om. And the bhakta, or the devotee, the holy name of Shiva, Tara, Hari, Jesus, Buddha, and any aspect of God you relate to. But every aspirant after self-knowledge, that's self, your inner self, or God-realization, must have constant remembrance. The chief means of doing this is repetition of the holy name or word with love and reverence. So, there we are. We could quit now and everyone could just sit and do japam <laughs> and see how you feel in a half an hour. <laughs> but I imagine that wouldn't cut it, would it? So, in our tradition, we have what we call a guru, a teacher, and that guru will give us a mantra, a set phrase that we repeat as we sit to meditate. If you don't have a guru, there was a wonderful book in the bookstore, which I still call the Mantra Handbook by Eknathish Warren, and he said you could choose a mantra for yourself, or a prayer that makes you feel close to God. He offered many choices. Hare Krishna, Hare Rama, the bhajan that you heard before the lecture is one of them. The St. Francis prayer, where there is hatred, let me sow love. There are many different poems or prayers that are repeated through the centuries that will offer that same kind of quieting the mind and making it controlled. However, I personally believe that it's very difficult to meditate on Om. How many of you can? What do we really have as a concept of Om? In the Bible it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh. This is very similar to the Hindu belief because every aspect of God has what they call a seed word. And these seed words, when they have proven through scientific study, 
using a certain kind of photography, which I always forget the name of. But they have proven that as yogis repeat these seed words, first of all, the sound waves create a yantra. And a yantra is a diagrammatic drawing of the seed word, the sound waves that the seed word and the mantra creates. Now, each one of these, there's a separate yantra. Most of them start with a circle and some triangles inside. There's a book that delineates the whole thing. Okay, these yantras are specific to certain forms of God. So, in the most subtle aspect of approaching God or consciousness, the word is the most subtle. The yantra is the next step. And then the form. You know, we create forms of gods and goddesses. Shortly we'll be celebrating Durga Puja, and you'll see Mother Durga sitting on a lion. We have forms of Buddha. We have forms of Jesus. Forms of Ramakrishna. Things that we can visualize and concentrate on. So using that idea of visualization and concentration, that's how we can control our mind. In every religious tradition, there is a a history of and a practice of repetition of God's names. In the Catholic Church, it's the Hail Marys. The Orthodox Church, there's a beautiful book called The Way of the Pilgrim where a Russian starot goes through his entire life wandering, constantly repeating on his rosary, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon me. There's another book in the Christian tradition, which I always recommend, The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence, a soldier in the 1300s. 1500s, who went to war, got crippled, joined monastery. His only religious practice, when I say religious practice, the only effort he made besides just working really hard in the kitchen was constantly having Jesus as his companion. And I've noticed that, oh, probably 10 years ago, there was quite a resurgence of that, like, what would Buddha do? What would Jesus do? Books for younger people to start that practice of the presence, where everything you do, you question, well, how would they do it? What choice would they make? What choice would Buddha make? What choice would Jesus make? What choice would whichever name of God you want? (laughs) Or if you don't, relate to a form of God, then as they said in the Katu Upanishad, our choices are those with everything we encounter every day, we have two choices, one way or the other way. And in the Katu Upanishad, they delineate that as choosing between the good and the pleasant. The ones that will make you feel that you are closer to that inner divinity that we all have. And we all have that inner divinity, because that is our nature. So you get up in the morning, and the choice you have is, do I just stay in bed a little bit longer, (laughs) close my eyes again, and just rest a little more? Or do I get up 
And if you already have a spiritual practice, sit down and do your morning spiritual practice. If you don't have a spiritual practice, often we have an exercise program. Get up and do it, whether you want to or not. But set some kind of a routine that helps control the mind. Every day we have those choices, the good or the pleasant. Now, being human beings, we don't always make the right choice. Sometimes with great knowledge, we make, I am going to just turn over and go back to bed. (laughs) Because we are human. It gets a little more important when we have the choice of the company we keep, the programs we're going to watch on television, the books we're going to read. Then the choice becomes a little more relevant to what we are doing with our minds. Will I watch that really violent movie because it's got lots of action, and I really like lots of action, or it has one of your favorite movie stars in it, or will I not feed those pictures into my mind? This is a choice we can make every day. Am I going to read the latest bestseller, or am I going to read something that might be a little more uplifting? These are just choices in everyday life. Am I going to cut that person off because they're going too slow on the freeway and I really have somewhere I have to go? This is the kind of choices we make constantly. Japa is the easiest way, and I mean this truly, the easiest way to train our minds. A little later in that poem, the Sri Chaitanya prayer, it says, No times are set, no rites are necessary for chanting of the name of the Lord. You can do it when you go for your walk in the morning. You can do it when you go for your run. You can do it when you're cooking, when you're doing almost anything. If you continue to do it, and I know this happens, it takes on its own momentum. And after a while, you will find that it goes almost automatically in the back of your mind. If you do it just as you lie down to go to sleep, you start saying your mantra, and you fall asleep doing it. Well, you don't want to. That's not the best way to do it. But if you're going to sleep and you decide, I'll do my mantra and fall asleep, you'll find that you wake up with it automatically going. So the last thing you think of is, the self within, or the Lord. And the first thing you think of in the morning is the self within, or the Lord. When the mind becomes trained like that, I'll quote Swami Prabhavananda, who said, Practice japa more and more, and you are sure to find that inexpressible joy, the joy that knows no limit. Until you're established in that, there will be ups and downs. But don't lose heart. The days you feel dry within, you need to struggle a little more. You may not come out of the dryness while you're striving, but as an after effect, you will see how your whole being is responding to the bliss of God, even when you're not expecting it. His definition, Swami Prabhupada, he says, make javam. The Lord is consciousness, here is consciousness, and he pointed to his head and his heart. 
the Lord's name is consciousness. So what you're doing when you make japa is establishing the consciousness, the supreme consciousness in your being. Many of us who do have a practice will notice that occasionally, as you start doing japa, when you begin, you have a great, you know, eagerness of, this is new, I'm going to do it, I can realize God, I can realize myself probably next week. When that doesn't happen, and it becomes like, I remember someone saying, I'm bored with my mantra. Okay, yep, you can get bored. Swami Prabhupada, who was my teacher, said, fine, keep repeating it. Ideally, repeat it with full consciousness and love with every repetition. When you get bored, do it mechanically. Because even when you're doing it mechanically, it is training your subconscious. You cannot actively train your subconscious because you're not involved with it. That's why they call it subconscious. <laughs> but by mechanically repeating something, it's like constantly pouring something into a pitcher. If you start with dirty, ugly, inky water, and you start pouring clear water in, and you keep pouring it in, and you keep pouring it in, until eventually all the dirty water comes out and you're left with clear, pure water. That's what japa does to your mind and your body and your senses. It purifies body, mind, and senses. The struggle for control of desire, gone. Because your mind is completely taken up with the knowledge of consciousness. Is it easy? Uh -uh. It's not easy. Holy Mother, who was the consort of Ramakrishna and considered an aspect of the Divine Mother, said, oh, when should we do it? We said, Sri Chaitanya said, there's no time set or rights necessary for doing it. However, then of course there's always the counter thing. The best time for doing it is at the conjunction of day and night. When the whole earth has calmed to a point where there stasis. And at that time the mind can become pure. And usually stops its fluctuations. So she said one should practice japa and meditation at regular times. Giving up idleness. This is a big one. And she said, while living in Dakshineshwar, she used to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and practice japa and meditation. One day, and this is quoting her, I felt a little indisposed and left the bed rather late. The next day I woke up, still late through laziness. Gradually I found that I did not feel inclined to get up early anymore. Then I said to myself, ah, at last I have fallen victim to idleness. Thereupon I began to force myself to get up early. Gradually I got back to my former habit. In such matters one should keep up the practice with unyielding resolution. Now we all know this is true when we're doing exercise. Exercise of the body, if you don't do it for two months, it's really hard to get started again. Really hard. <laughs> It's even worse for the mind, because the mind doesn't have the physical limitations. It can go anywhere, anytime, and it will. <laughs> so 
if you don't struggle hard with that first thing, like setting your time in the morning when you are going to even sit to start with, they all say don't start with a regime that you're not going to keep up. Start with five minutes. We had one of our monks say here, he couldn't even promise to sit for five minutes to begin with. He figured he might be able to do two. And that's a good way to start if you can't. If you have a mantra, say it five times. But do it every single day at the same time. And gradually increase it. The routine is absolutely mandatory. And I think all of us know that. I personally found I had knee surgery not so long ago. And I got extremely lazy. (laughs) Well, I was confined with all these machines on my knee and leg. But it was really easy to not get up and push. And I think all of us, if we have a physical problem, not even permanent ones, it's easy to give in to the body. But we must remember that we're not the body. We're not the mind. We're much, much more than that. And to get to that, consciousness is what we hope to do. So it all takes time. Are there any questions about Japam? You all know exactly what it is, and you're just going to do it, right? (laughs) Okay. How do you get a guru? Because sometimes you need a guru to get started with Japam. Now, I know personally that many of you are Buddhists in here and have your guru. This, this is a good place to sit and meditate. Meditation and repetition has gone on for over 60, 70 years here. And that sets up a certain vibration, which makes it easier for your mind to get in that space. If you don't have a guru and haven't found the philosophy that appeals to you, that you think you could do. And that takes a while sometimes, too. It's very much like going to college and trying to figure out what you want to study. And it, it took some of us a lot of time to, to try a lot of different things before we figured it out. Which sport I want to take up, which one I'm going to keep up. We all have these things. So Yes, sometimes we go religion shopping, and you try different things, you read different books, you see which one appeals to you, which one touches your heart. And Vedanta says that's a good way. Find your own path. We say find a teacher because, like with everything that you do, having a teacher helps. I taught elementary school before I joined the convent, and I happened to see this thing that says, if you can't figure out the answer to this math problem in the next 20 seconds, you're not going to be able to help your children with their math. I saw the problem. I had no idea what they were talking about. Not even slightly. And I taught math. But things change. And I would need instructors to tell me how to do that. I think I'd be smart enough still to maybe get it. Maybe not, but (laughs) I think so. But we all take advice from people who have been there and done it, so we don't have to reinvent the wheel every single day. The whole human race would kind of be 
sitting in the same place if we had to reinvent the wheel every day, each one of us. So find a religious instructor. Find someone that can show you how to get on the path that you have chosen. Because they're in every single church. Now, I'm not saying that they have to be in a church. But in a tradition that has historically and over the centuries survived. Because you know that if it has survived over the centuries, the core beliefs are universal. I'll put it that way. Christianity, Buddhism, Islam, Hinduism basically have the same core beliefs. There is a divinity. You are here to realize that divinity. They say it in different ways. I'm more familiar with the Christian background, but as I said in John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh. We believe the same thing. I and my Father are one. That means that you and God are the same. Your inner nature is divine. In Islam, they have the same precepts. In Buddhism, yes, you realize the consciousness, or as I was told one time, emptiness, but that didn't make much sense to me. We had a very good lecture here about emptiness really means fullness, and I understood it then. (laughs) And I can't tell you again how it happened because it's not my path, but it is the path of knowledge. Uh, I tend to like things a little simpler because we have many ways of doing things and we have what we call the four yogas. Japa is included in all of them. Japa is included in jnana yoga, which is the path of knowledge. It's definitely in bhakti yoga, which is the path of devotion. Raja yoga is mind control, which means a great deal of japa because it will control your mind. And karma yoga, the path of action. Now, if you don't do japa while you're doing the action, you tend to get very attached to your actions. If you can manage to remember God or consciousness the entire time you're acting, then you do not become bound to your work. We're able to get it done, but we're not tied to it. Tied. If we don't have the ups and downs of, oh my God, I didn't do it right. They're all going to hate me. Um, oh, I did such a good job today. I know they're all going to praise me. <laughs> but we don't get involved like that if we remember consciousness or God the entire time. So I can't really give you mantras to, to say. You have to find your teacher When you find your teacher, you can, in our tradition, you talk to them, tell them what appeals to you. I can give you quotes of some of the, what they say about Japam, but having a guru and having initiation, that's what they call it, is a strictly personal thing. You meet the person who can initiate you into a path of religion, and they give you 
individual instructions in our tradition. Not everyone gets the same instructions. I can tell you a, a story about Ramakrishna and two of his direct disciples. One of the disciples, who was very thin and very loving, very meek, you would say, came to Ramakrishna one day, and he said, I was in a crowd and people were berating you. And Ramakrishna said, what did you do? He said, I did nothing. And Ramakrishna got furious with him. He said, you should stand up for me. You should fight. You should make them back down. You should defend me. And the disciple was very, mm. I thought we were supposed to be patient and forbearing like the tree. Another quote from the Sri Chaitanya prayer. Now, on another day, one of Ramakrishna's disciples walked in, a very strong, robust, he'd been a wrestler, and he was a strong man. And he walked in and he said, I was taking the boat to Dakshineshwar, and someone was speaking against you. So I got furious, and I rocked the boat and threatened to overturn it. And Ramakrishna said, you should never do that. That is the wrong action to take. You should have quietly let them go on and not said a word. So this is how the teacher looks at your temperament, your own temperament, your own tendencies, and gives you instructions on how to control those tendencies and turn them Godward. Now, I'm, I'm just going to read you a few quotes about how they say this is beneficial, why having a name to repeat or why having a mantra is important. Many of you have knowledge of kundalini yoga and all of that. Okay, Holy Mother says, the kundalini will gradually be awakened. You will realize everything by the repetition of God's name. Even if the mind is not quiet, Still, you can sit at a place and repeat the holy name a million times. Just try that, okay? <laughs> As the wind removes the cloud, so the name of God destroys the cloud of worldliness. Now, when they talk about worldliness, they mean the desires and habits that we suffer highly, we have great joy, but not the kind of joy that you get when you realize your own divinity. It's an excitement. It's not that heart-bursting joy that you will feel, like Swami Prabhupada said, that joy that is inexpressible. It's a joy that fills your entire being. It's not dependent on an outside trigger. It is the joy that is within you naturally. This one you're going to love. Holy Mother says the repetition is accompanied by concentration. Then alone one gets the grace of God. One must repeat the mantra at least 15 to 20,000 times a day. Now that sounds truly daunting, doesn't it? 10,000 times a day will take approximately three hours. So it's not daunting. It takes up a lot of your day, but it is not daunting. You can do it and still hold a job. <laughs> I had a, met a Swami in India when I was first my first trip, 
And he asked me what my name was, and I told him what my name was. And I have very bad Sanskrit pronunciation. You all know that because I can't do the chants in Sanskrit. Okay, so I told him my name was Sadika, and he went, Oh my God, if you can't say your name, what are you doing to your mantra? <laughs> and I went, Well, I'm doing it, <laughs> so I hope God understands. <laughs> And I took heart in the fact that, as Ramakrishna used to say, a child says, calls his father, duh, and the father knows what the child is saying. <laughs> so I took heart in that, but I'll never forget him saying, oh my God, what are you doing to your mantra? <laughs> anyway, I'm going to stop with one last quote of Swami Prabhavananda, and he said, as soon as you receive the mantra from your guru, you are no longer a human being. You have become God. And I think I will stop there. I'll ask for some questions if you do have any. Yes. The question was, is it important to meditate in the exact same place when you meditate? Um, it's easier. Because if you set aside a place in your home, or of course come to the temple where meditation goes on. If you set aside one place, one chair, one corner, the more you meditate there, your mind will automatically be drawn every time you go there. And you don't have to work so hard to get into the space where you're ready to be quiet. So in that way it's important. But it's it's not absolutely necessary. That's what makes I'll say Japam easier. You can sit in the airport and do Japam. That purifies yourself and actually the people around you. There was another question. Yes, can you ask a Swami to be a guru? Yes, you can. Now, in our particular order, they have a tradition that only the president and the vice presidents of the order in India can initiate, give mantras. However, all of the heads of the centers outside of India are also given permission to initiate people with mantras. So in our society, it would be Swami Sarvadevananda. But yes, you can. Yes. Okay, is it better to repeat the mantras silently or out loud? If you're in your home by yourself, repeat it out loud. If you're sitting in the temple, please don't. <laughs> I want to keep my own mantra. I don't want your mantra. <laughs> Ideally, as I say, after a while, you repeat it first silently, but if you often you use beads, a mala, to count them. And Holy Mother said, they said, why do we have to count? And she says, well, you've been given fingers, and often you get fidgety, and using the mala helps release the fidgeties. Your hand may go dead silent, and you don't do anything after a while, but the mantra keeps going. But initially, if you involve a little physical with a little mental, you can concentrate a little bit. And eventually, the mantra will just, you won't have to do anything, make any effort, and it'll kind of just be there all the time. Any other question? Yeah. Once given a mantra by your guru, can you supplement it with another one throughout the day, or should you just use that one as your job? Well, 
Can you supplement your mantra? You can if you talk to your guru. As someone said, do what your guru says, don't edit. Follow their instructions and don't add or subtract anything without talking to them. Often, not often, but sometimes, people have gotten one mantra and they are suddenly drawn to someone else, another aspect of God. And in talking to their guru, they may have the mantra for that aspect of God added to their mantra. But you have to talk to your guru. And if your guru is gone, <laughs> what they have are what we call upagurus. When your original guru is gone, you may talk to another holy man and find out if where you're going is the right thing for you. Because our gurus don't live in the body forever. It's a sad thing, but they really don't. But they're always with us. So, Purnamada, Purnamidam, Purnamudachate, Purnasya, Purnameva Vashishyate, Om Shanti 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 Filled with Brahman are the things we know. Filled with Brahman are the things we see. Filled with Brahman are the things we see not. From out of Brahman floweth all, yet Brahman remains the same. Om Peace, Peace, Peace be unto us all. You've been listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Thanks for listening.